Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, pause before you today to give thanks. Lord, my prayer request would be that, that I remember, that we remember that uh, Thanksgiving should not be a day, but it should be a way of life for us. And Father, quite often when we enter your house, we, we come in here because of places we're hurting, places we have need, because of things that are not working out the way we want. Honestly, things we're not thankful for at all is what often brings us into your house. But Father, I pray that, that even with those things going on, that we do pause to see and to look for your goodness and faithfulness and to give you thanks for it. Father, we're grateful for the, the things like life and health and strength and a job and the ability to pay bills and to have food and clothing. God, I pray we're also mindful of the things that really count, the things that are eternal. I'm thankful, God, that I was picked out by you, that you adopted me into your family so that I could one day stand right next to Jesus Christ and receive the inheritance of heaven. God, that is a goodness that I cannot even begin to fathom. It's a goodness I would imagine you would anticipate would change my life and affect my attitude no matter what else is going on. God, let us see our forgiveness. Let us see your love. God, may we be a people who are thankful. God, I want to join these who've come and given testimony today. I just want to say thank you for this church, for what you're doing in and through us. God, for meeting with us Sunday after Sunday and letting your presence be so profound. The way you minister and encourage and touch each person here. God, we're grateful. We acknowledge you and we praise you. It's in your name that we pray all this. Amen. Well, I've got a little bit of a, I guess you'd say a unique introduction to a, a Thanksgiving message. I, I'm using a passage I doubt has ever been used to, to begin a, a, a series or a sermon on Thanksgiving, but I, I don't know what else to tell you except that it's the passage God led me to use. So let's see what God has for us today. I've, I've got a story to tell you, or rather it's God's story, and it's the story about a tree. So let's turn there today to Ezekiel 31. Ezekiel. We don't, we don't get to Ezekiel a whole bunch, do we? But make no mistake, it is the Word of God. It is profitable for our life, just as is Matthew, John, Revelation, Genesis. God has what you need inside this book of Ezekiel. Uh, if you'll get to the middle of your Old Testament, the Psalms, and head right, you'll run into some big books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel will be close by after that. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. If it's not right in front of you, I know it's within a couple of chairs. You just point to it and somebody will hand it to you. Ezekiel chapter 31, and I'll begin in verse 1. It says there, In the eleventh year, in the third month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his hordes, who are you like in your greatness? Think of Assyria, a cedar in Lebanon. Now, God is talking to Egypt, and he says, Now, Egypt, who, who do you think you're like? Who, who would you compare your greatness to? And God says, Well, I'll jump in and answer the question. Uh, you're a lot like Assyria. And Assyria was a lot like the cedar of Lebanon. 
Now, when he said a cedar of Lebanon, a very clear picture would have come into the mind of Ezekiel and the mind of his readers. We might not know what a cedar of Lebanon looks like, so I've got one here for you. That is right there, a cedar in Lebanon. And it's a, quite an impressive tree. As a matter of fact, you can barely make it out, but at the bottom you see people standing there. And so you get a little bit of a perspective on the size of this tree. So that's what God has in mind. That's what Ezekiel has in mind when he writes this story about a tree. So let's see what it says here. Verse 3. Think of Assyria, a cedar in Lebanon, with beautiful branches and shady foliage and of lofty height. Its top was among the clouds. The waters caused it to grow. The underground springs made it tall, directing their rivers all around. The place where the tree was planted and sending their channels to all the trees of the field. Therefore, the cedar became great in height, greater than all the trees of the field. Its branches multiplied, its boughs grew long, and it spread them out because of the plentiful water. All the birds of the sky nested in its branches and all the animals of the field gave birth beneath its boughs. All the great nations lived in its shade. It was beautiful in its greatness, in the length of its limbs, for its roots extended to abundant water. The cedars in God's garden could not rival it. The pine trees couldn't compare with its branches, nor could the plane trees match its boughs. No tree in the garden of God could compare with it In beauty, I made it beautiful with its many limbs and all the trees of Eden, which were in God's garden, envied it. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Since it became great in height and set its top among the clouds and it grew proud on account of its height, I determined to hand it over to a ruler of nations. He would surely deal with it. I banished it because of its wickedness. Foreigners, ruthless men from the nations cut it down. And left it lying. Its limbs fell on the mountains and in every valley. Its bows lay broken in all the earth's ravines. All the peoples of the earth left its shade and abandonment abandoned it. Our tree here was awesome. It was just absolutely incomparable in its height. Incomparable in its width. It was just an awesome tree. The birds of the air, the animals of the field, even it says there, the nations, the nations came and and found rest and security under the shade of this great tree. It was, as God said, it was just the tree of all trees. That is right up to the point. God cut it down. That says something right there to us, folks, doesn't it? About the greatness in the earth. It can be a great tree. Or it could be a great nation or a great corporation or a great football team or a great individual. It may look greater and stronger and wealthier and wiser than anything around. That is right up to the point that God decides it's done and then it's cut down. You see, our tree here had a problem. Our tree became proud. That tree began to think that it had done that. It had produced its magnificence. It had produced its greatness. It had produced all of its glory. It began to take credit for being there. Now, folks, you do understand we're not actually talking about trees today, don't you? Yeah, in our story here, this tree is representative of a nation, Egypt and Assyria. And it can today, that cedar of Lebanon can be representative of a nation, 
Or it could be representative of a corporation. Or a family. Or a church. Or a person. You see, folks, when we begin to take credit for what God's done, when we begin to think that we are the source, I've, I've done this, it's, it's my hard work, it's my smarts, it's my strength, I'm paying the bills, I'm making this happen. When we begin to take credit for that, folks, that is the biblical definition of pride and arrogance. It is the sin that caused Satan to fall. It is the sin that he used to cause humanity to fall. Do you realize pride and arrogance is why Everything that's wrong in this world is wrong. This is a big deal. Pride and arrogance puts you and I, a church, a nation, in a head-on collision course with God. Listen to the scriptures speak about this over and over and over. About pride, about arrogance, and, and God's relationship to that. In Psalm chapter 5, verse 5, it says, The boastful cannot stand in your presence. In Psalm 101, it says, I cannot tolerate haughty eyes or an arrogant heart. In, in Proverbs chapter 15, it says, The Lord destroys. Look at that. What brings a house down? What brings a family down? Pride. The Lord destroys the house of the proud. Proverbs 16, everyone with a proud heart is detestable to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. And in James chapter 4, the Lord resists, the Lord opposes, the Lord works against the proud. Folks, we need to hear this. We need to take this warning. We need to understand this lesson from the tree because it is our tendency to grow proud now i can imagine that many of us might resist a statement like that well i'm i'm not arrogant i'm not proud and and maybe when we think of the words arrogant and proud we, we think of maybe that guy who just got flagged 15 yards for excessive celebration after a touchdown you know that's showing off that's that's being arrogant or we think of that person in the classroom or or in the in the workplace that's always drawing attention to themselves, always talking about how great they are, kind of pushes other people down by lifting themselves up. That is pride and arrogance. But folks, that's not the total definition of pride and arrogance. You see, where the pride we're talking about is a pride that says, you know, I'm so in tune with myself and I'm so uncomfortable with you that I can't love and I can't serve. We're talking about a pride and arrogance that, that Jesus most often addresses in the New Testament. It's that pride that says, I'm a part of this race. I'm a part of this belief system. I'm a part of this political system. I'm a part of this church. So that just makes me better than you. That's the pride Jesus most often attacked. We're talking about that pride that says, you know what, I have a right to be angry. And I, and I have a right to get even. Even though God said your anger will never accomplish his purposes. Do you hear that? Every single time you've been angry, whether it's justified or unjustified, your anger will never accomplish God's purposes. Which is why he says, let it go. That's the word forgive. Leave it in my hands. 
We're, we're talking about the, the kind of pride that says, I'll do whatever I want. By the way, that's the statement that goes through every single one of our minds right before we sin. That's what we're telling God. I'll do what I want. Folks, all of these arrogant thoughts, they grow in the soil of self-sufficiency. I, I did this. I earned it. I worked for it. It was my strength. It was my wisdom. It was my money. And out of those self-sufficient statements comes then the very natural step. I can do what I want. It's all about me. It's what I feel. It's what I think. It's what I want to do right here. That is the pride and arrogance that sets your life, a church's life, a nation's life, on a collision course with God. Folks, it is very possible to think that way, to have that mentality rolling through our heart and mind, and yet be in church singing praises every single Sunday. We need thanksgiving. And, and I'm not just talking about a day. I'm talking about a lifestyle. A lifestyle of gratitude. We need to discipline ourselves. You know, when you think of the word discipline, what comes to your mind? Scheduling. Working out. Doing it whether it's easy or not. Purposing, choosing, making sure that every single day. You know, sometimes I say, you know what, at least once this week. Probably heard me say something like that. Maybe, I'll say, you know what, three or four times this week. Let's try. Folks, three or four times once this week will not work in this. We have to daily, every single day. I've got to stop somewhere in the course of that day and say, look at that. God gave me that. God provided that. God protected there. God showed. God took care of. I didn't do this. And I acknowledge him. And I acknowledge that he did these good things not because he owed it to me. Not because I deserved it. He did it because he's just that good. And he's just that kind. We need. Not should. I'm not saying we should give thanks. I'm saying we need to give thanks. Let me give you four reasons. That our lives literally need to give thanks. One, we need to give thanks because it protects us from pride. Man, I do not want to be on a collision course with God, do you? I, I don't want to set my life, my home, my church, my nation up on a collision course with God. Well, guess what? When I'm in the discipline of giving thanks, of acknowledging, hey, that didn't come from me, that didn't come from me, that didn't come from me. No, God did that, God did that, God did that. If I'm in the habit of continually acknowledging that, there's a lot better chance I'm not going to step in and start taking credit for it. So it protects me from pride. On the flip side, a second reason is it does acknowledge God. James 1.17 says every perfect deed, every good gift comes from above. Folks, that blue sky that you enjoy, it came from somewhere. It didn't just happen. A good day, a good meal, a good thought, a good feeling, a relationship that you enjoy, a church that you enjoy, a job, the opportunity to do something that counts forever. And all of those things come from God. They're from His hand. Guess what? It's right to acknowledge Him for it. It's right to not act like it was I who did that. But we acknowledge Him. We give Him thanks for those things. We need to give thanks because it gives us hope. Folks, when you lose hope, you lose life. You know, when we think about giving thanks, we think about the good stuff, don't we? When we gather around the big bird Thursday... 
We're going to say thank you for clothes and a house and the ability to pay bills and life and health and strength and friends and family. And we'll give thanks for these things. We should give thanks for these things. But guess what, folks? Giving thanks may be your best defense. It may be your best protection in the midst of all the bad stuff. You know, the Bible tells us, it says, in everything, in everything, give thanks. It doesn't say for everything. It says in everything, in the cancer, in the divorce, in the rejection, in the hurt, in the loss, in the failure, in that, inside of that moment, give thanks. Why? I don't want to be here. I don't like it. I get this away. We're praying God take it. Why would I give thanks? Because no matter what's going on in the midst of that, I'm still loved. I'm still forgiven. I'm not alone. That situation, that circumstance will not be the determinant of my life. That situation, that circumstance will not define my life. That situation will not win. God's going to win. God's the determinant on my life. God is the definition of my life. He has a purpose for me and he's promised he's going to fulfill it. No matter what this circumstance is doing to me. And that doesn't change in that I am thankful. And by folks, by giving thanks. We keep we keep hope. And we need hope to live. We need to give thanks because it keeps us obedient. Now, think about that, folks, when you know, I can I can step over here in, in self-sufficiency and pride and arrogance. And that road puts me on a collision course to God or I can start every single day of my life giving thanks. And I've just started every day of my life in obedience. I've just put myself on a collision course, not with God's judgment, but with God's blessing. Folks, you know, what? it's not right to take credit for what somebody else has done, is it? Have You ever had somebody take credit for what you did? Did you like it? Did it feel good? Can you imagine what it's like for God to watch humanity every single day take credit for all of his work? It's not right to not acknowledge when somebody's done something good on your behalf. And when you and I start each day with giving thanks, we are being obedient and we're getting on the road of blessing. I'll tell you something. Giving of thanks is a big, big deal to God. Six hundred and ninety five times the scripture refers to giving thanks let me give you five of those 695 i was going to give 300 but i felt like we just didn't have time so let's just look at five right here first chronicles 16 8 give thanks to the lord call on his name proclaim his deeds did you hear that proclaim them Boy, folks, we need to be out here talking to each other, talking about what we're thankful for, talking about what we saw God do, talk about what God is doing in our lives. Yes, we give thanks alone, but the scripture says we're to give thanks when we gather together, when we're with his people. Uh, Psalm 7 says, I will thank the Lord for his righteousness. I will sing. I will sing about the Lord. Did you sing this morning? I know you heard songs. I know you heard people singing. Did you sing? I will sing about the name of the Lord, the Most High. Psalm chapter 9, I will thank the Lord with how much of my heart? All of my heart. You know what that means, folks? It means when I enter this room and I join God's people in praise, it is with every fiber of my being. It is with all of my emotion, all of my attention, all of my energy. 
I will thank him. I will praise him with all of my heart. Now look at Romans one, a little bit of a different twist coming from another angle. Romans chapter one looks at how a person, a family, a nation, how people fall. How they grow, not in the Lord, but how they grow in their sin and what happens as they grow in their sin. And look what it says here in Romans 1 21. It says, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or what? They didn't show gratitude. To not show gratitude is to live as a pagan. To live a day in which I do not acknowledge the goodness of God is to live exactly like a pagan would live that day. I would imagine very few or any of us in this room would want to live a day as a pagan. To not show gratitude is to do that. Giving of thanks is a big deal. As a matter of fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks to the Lord, for this is what? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's a big statement, isn't it? This is God's will. You know, I am confident that every time we gather, every time a person walks through these doors, they're coming in here because they want to know God's will on something. God, I want to know what your will is here. What do you want here? What are you doing here? How do I get a part of what you're doing? How do I get what you're doing? I want to know what you're doing. I want your will. Folks, let me tell you something. The greatest way to find God's will is to step into the will of God that you already know. You say, I just don't know that God's real obligated to open up the door of his will for our lives if we're not doing anything with the will he's already shown us. And he makes it very clear here. This is my will for you. Think of that. I have a thousand people in here right now. We could have a thousand different questions on what's God's will for my life. Listen to God's answer. This is my will. This is my answer for you today. Give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks. You know what? I'm grateful today to live in a nation that has a day of thanksgiving. I'm I'm grateful that some people who came before us put that day on our calendar because I'm I'm not so sure that this day of Thanksgiving might be one of the few remaining reasons God might keep his hand on this nation. Because God will have the opportunity to look down on this nation this Thursday and he will see tens of millions of people somewhere in the course of that day bow and give thanks. Because my fear for our nation is that we're like that great cedar of Lebanon. And that we might just be at the place. Can you imagine America not as the greatest nation in the world? I can't. Oh, well, folks, we can be cut down tomorrow. Dead and gone tomorrow. The moment God decides I'm done. My purposes are finished there. I don't know everything God will see, and I don't know what kind of gratitude God will see across this nation this Thursday. But can you and I as Americans, can we be faithful to show God that we're grateful for what we have as Americans, what we have in this nation? Can you and I as Christians be faithful to tell God what we're thankful about for this church? I don't think because we're a church, we're immune to being cut down. God chops down churches, folks. Churches can become prideful and arrogant and completely self-centered. God owes a church nothing. 
Will you be one of Colonial Heights Baptist members who this Thursday will bow and say, God, I'm so grateful for who you are, what you're doing in and through that church, and that I get to see it, that I get to be a part of it. As a matter of fact, the bigger question is not will you do that this Thursday. Will you do it every single day? Because he's worthy of it every single day. What does God see when he looks down in your home? I hope he sees an entire family. But will he see at least you? At least one individual acknowledging inside that home. Because I don't, I don't want my home to be a cedar of Lebanon. I, I, I don't want my home to be on a collision course with God. Every day this home, if it's only up to me, will offer thanks to God. It's his will for this home. It's his will for this church. It's his will for this nation. What role will you play? He is worthy. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, it really has been a unique year in the life and the history of Colonial Heights Baptist. And I'm very thankful for a, a smooth transition from one church home to another. Uh, we're very thankful for this building, the excitement it's causing, the, the, the people that are being drawn to it. More importantly, Lord, why they might be being drawn by bricks and sticks, what they're finding is the spirit of the living God. Father, I'm thankful for the, the growth, the excitement, the unity. I'm thankful for, Lord, being able to pull on this lot this morning. And there's just such an incredible testimony of so many people from parking cars to greeting to teaching to, to building a stage and a set to rehearsing and preparing a story all because they want to see Jesus Christ lifted up in their community and world. God, I'm so blessed to be a part of a body of people like this that dedicate so much, that give so much, that serve so much, that the gospel might advance. What an awesome church, Lord. And it's not because of our work. It's not because of our passion and energy. It's because you first loved us. You picked us out. You brought us together. You made us a family. You wiped clean all of our sins. You filled us with joy and life. You are so good to me. You are so good to us. Every day, Lord, every day, we're going to say thank you. It's in your name that we pray this. Amen.